Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Organ Donation Week begins Monday the 18th of September, and so we are sharing a Kidney Warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Ellsmoreport, England, is Managing Director Andy Jones. Andy joins me to share his inspirational story of receiving a kidney through the UK Living Kidney Sharing Scheme and the lessons he has learned along his Kidney Warrior journey. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm very well, thank you. Do yourself? I'm good. I'm really excited about our interview today. As everyone knows, and I say this every time and I'm going to say it again, I love recording kidney warrior stories because as I say in the introduction, there's always something you can learn from someone's story. And I don't think that there's a better way than listening to somebody's lived experience of what it's like to live with CKD chronic kidney disease. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear your story today. So I'm going to kick off with my first question. And my first question is, how did your kidney worry journey begin? And how were you diagnosed? So we believe my journey started from birth. And I say believe because there was no diagnosis from birth. However, when I was around three to four years old, we were down in Walsall on our canal boat on a family holiday where one morning my parents couldn't wake me. Originally, they thought I was in a coma, but we believe it was down to low blood sugar at the time. But anyway, I was whisked off to Walsall General Hospital. Blood tests were taken and it expanded from there. I remember the, the, I've been told, I don't remember the situation. I was very young, but I was told there was a scan and the nurse told my parents that she'd never seen kidneys as worse as mine, even in a deceased body. Now, bear in mind, this was the mid 80s. So luckily, we've advanced a little bit more in technology and and medicine since then. And that's where we believe my journey ultimately began. Wow. So the nurse said the worst kidneys that she'd seen. (laughs) Did they have a a diagnosis at that point? No, it was it was more diagnosed, confirmed, I should say, when we came back up to the northwest and I was booked in to see the GP at the time. And then I was under the care of a very lovely Welsh gentleman called Dr. Evans Jones, who basically looked after me from four to about 16 to 18. But at that point, it was pretty much confirmed to four years old that I suffered. All I knew it of is scarred kidneys. And I've later learned that it was reflux. So again, that was the sort of understanding I had as a child before I really delved deeply into what CKD was or what CKD is. Generally, when people think of the word reflux, they think of indigestion type things. Yes. But, so in the context of kidneys, what do you mean by reflux? 
So my understanding was that there was ultimately water not being released further down past the kidney and ultimately bouncing back, for want of a better term, into the kidney and causing damage that way. That was my crude, rudimentary understanding of it. So life as a young child living with CKD, obviously you were very young at that time and your memories might be quite vague at that time. But for what you can remember of then, how was your life back then? So it was pretty normal, to be honest. I was I was quite an active young chappy, I suppose, until I was 18, running around playing football, dreaming of playing professional football, as most lads did at that time. The only main difference I could see myself compared to my friends was I was taking a tablet every day. And that tablet was a tenanol. And I was taking that to control blood pressure. And that was pretty much all I was given at the time. I was going to see uh, Dr. Evans-Jones probably once a year to begin with. Then it came in sort of once every six months. But other than that, there wasn't really an interest and a talk about it for me growing up, even whether that was the age of four or the age of 16. Again, probably similar to my parents. The head was buried in the sand, really, a little bit. They had uh, my older brother who hadn't been diagnosed with anything. He was fit and healthy. My parents were relatively fit and healthy as well for their age at the time. So, yeah, for me, it was quite a normal childhood. Normal being in inverted commas. It wasn't spoken about. And, yeah, we, we just cracked on. So you didn't experience any of the symptoms that we associate with chronic kidney disease, so fatigue? itching, any of those kind of symptoms? Not for memory, no. Again, if I did, I certainly wouldn't have attributed it to TKD or kidney disease. It would have been, oh, I've been playing football for 14 hours on the park or the street by the house, and that's why I'm tired. So I've looked back at that era quite recently, quite a lot, and something I spoke with a counsellor at Kidney Care about later on in my journey. And again, I've never been able to put a finger on a specific thing from that age that I could compare to say I have CKD or not. Again, like I say, just cracking on with life until the point I turned 16, stroke 18, and we left the care of the GP and was moved into then a nephrology team. So lived a normal in speech marks childhood, getting to the age of 16 to 18, changing healthcare practitioner, and then at that point, did things start to change? I suppose when you asked the question about the childhood, I probably should have said led a normal life till I was 36 in 2018 is the honest answer. Because again, even going to see the nephrologist at hospital every time, I'll be honest, rightly or wrongly, I didn't care. I didn't think CKD would impact me as young as I have been, being 41 now. I didn't think CKD was a major thing to worry about. My parents hadn't stressed that to me. There was something to think about for the future. And just to add to that, I don't look back and blame my parents for that in any way whatsoever either. It was just part of normal life. So even through nephrology at one point, I think probably in my early 30s, I was discharged from them for missing appointments. And that's how much I honestly worried about the disease. I I didn't. Ultimately, I thought probably tarring all males with the same brush but I thought I was a typical male I was going to live forever and then worst case if the worst case happened I'd either have a transplant or I'd just go on dialysis for the rest of my life and and that's not meant to affect anybody who is on dialysis or waiting for a transplant in that respect because I didn't know what that meant I just thought the NHS would look after me 
I'll be fine. So even going on from childhood into my 20s, and then, like I say, even into my 30s, I carried on taking my tablets I was given. Did I take them every day? Probably not. It's fair to say, but I carried on taking them when I remembered and just ate and drank through my 20s. Married, had two kids in mid to late 20s as well. And that still didn't change my perspective. I stayed living that particular lifestyle up until 2018. So up until 2018, there was no change in your lifestyle or mindset. What brought that change in mindset and lifestyle? In 2018, I wasn't well. And I wasn't well to the point of being admitted to hospital. I knew there was something wrong. And even at this stage, I knew a little bit about my condition. So I'd been re-referred back to a nephrologist. Me and him had a relationship that just wasn't working. And in fairness to him, I really like the guy now. And I'll touch upon that in a moment. I started listening and actually communicating with him. Funnily enough, he, he was happy to deal with me then. But I was wasting his time. So why would he want to speak to me? I fully understand that. So in 2018, I wasn't well. And we actually went on an all-inclusive holiday to Lorette de Mar in Spain. And the second time I'd been on an all-inclusive holiday. And Joe, I thought, great, free bar. Brilliant. And I'd have a couple of pints and just not feel 100%. And I'd go to bed, wake up the next day feeling like I had one of the worst hangovers I ever had. So the next day, what did I do? I had a couple of pints. And the next day I felt the same, <laughs> uh, just carried on on this cycle. And at this point, I knew there was something wrong. Now, my last appointment at the hospital, they'd shown me that my kidney function had kind of been stable. It's something I hadn't realized that about between 40 and 50 for a long time, even though I was overweight and I wasn't healthy in my 30s. Then I saw the chart in 2018, which showed my kidney function going from 40 down to circa 23, 24 within two to three months. Uh, the regular blood tests. So I already knew something was wrong, but I was waiting to speak to the doctor to get that kick. I call this moment in my life the kick because although I could have done something about it, I didn't. And as soon as I got that kick, that's when it all changed for me. So on reflection, all those years that you said you didn't really address what was going on with your kidney health and then getting to the point where that choice effectively was taken away from you. And disclaimer, I'm making a statement, but please forgive me, don't be offended, but the men that I've spoken to have been very reluctant to seek medical care. And what I would like to do is address that really with you. And for a man that is listening and maybe in that position where all they've had to do is maybe take a tablet as yourself or found out that they're in the early stages of CKD. What would you like to say to them? Listen to the doctors is probably my best advice for anybody in the journey as a whole. But in that particular situation, listen to the doctors. I trust the NHS 100%. If they told me to go and have a vaccine for COVID, I would go and have a vaccine for COVID. If they told me to take a flu jab, I'll take a flu jab. Little things like that. And that's something... I didn't have the trust in in 2018. And it wasn't because of any experience with the NHS. It was just I had my head so far buried in the sand. I couldn't see around me how ill I was. So really, really, if you think something's wrong, don't wait. Just go and speak to someone and find out because it may be nothing's wrong. You may just generally be a little bit fatigued. However, 
I found out in 2018, my kidney function sharply dropped. It wasn't the best to start with. They were 40-ish. But that sharp drop over a two to three month period really started to open the eyes a little bit. So yeah, I would fully recommend going to speak to the healthcare professional, speak to your GP, have that really good relationship with your team, whether that's a dialysis team, whether that's a pre or post transplant team, whatever stage you're at. Open your eyes, seek the information and learn from it. I've mentioned a lot as part of my journey. One thing I've not done since 2018 is I don't look back on everything that had gone I can't change what's happened I can maybe help somebody else change the mindset slightly before it gets too far down the process for them but for me we're sat here as you said at the start the it's the 26th of July 2023 anything that's happened before today I can't change we are sat here where we are today and I always try to look forward as much as possible what can I do now to prevent similar situations happening in the future And again, whether that's for me or for somebody else, that I'll be willing to have that conversation, basically. Absolutely. It's definitely about learning from the past, but not allowing yourself to be destroyed by it. What can you change now going forward and keeping that positive mindset? Definitely. You said that your kidney function then went into rapid decline. So what happened next? So in September of 2018, after we got back off holiday, I did have a an appointment and I'd been in the day or two before for bloods. So the NEF already had the results there and then as I walked in. And I walked in kind of quite buoyant because I knew the kick was coming and I was ready to make a change. Again, as silly as that sounds. And I walked into a junior doctor. My usual nephrologist was, was off on holiday. So I walked into a junior doctor who I'd never met before, who didn't know me. I didn't know them. And he basically said, so, Mr. Jones, it's time for dialysis or transplant. And for the rest of the meeting, honestly, I couldn't tell you what he told me. There was only one other thing I remember him saying, and he may as well have just said, you're too fat. He never said that. He indicated my BMI was too high for a transplant, so I probably needed to do something. But obviously, I never heard the actual conversation. I took two things from it, dialysis or transplant, and I'm overweight, basically. And that kind of opened my eyes to, there's the kick. What can we do now? And don't get me wrong, for 48 hours or so after this kick, in inverted commas, I was useless. I went through the motions. I didn't really eat anything. I didn't really drink anything. I went to work, did what needed to be done in the office and went home and sat there watching whatever it was on telly, couldn't remember, and going to bed and getting up and repeating. And that was because I did the worst thing anyone could ever do, which I'd fully also advise people not to do. And that was to go onto Google and say, how long will I live on dialysis? Or something to that word to that effect. And the answer is five years. Now, that's not the answer. For anyone listening, that is not the answer. It's just a bit of text I took out of context off a website I'd never been on before. So for 48 hours, my life was pretty much over. There's no other way of saying it. I was just a shell. And It was after that 48 hours between myself and my wife, we decided then that the past is the past, as I indicated before, I can't change it. What can we do now? Firstly, point one, to stay off dialysis for as long as possible. And secondly, what are we going to do once we started dialysis going forward? And that's where we started to plot the next stages, basically. So what was that plan? What did you decide to do? So for the first stage was to lose weights to get onto the transplant list 
that was point one straight off the bat because I also worked out or thought process for me was if I was to lose weight, I'd get a bit healthier, maybe prolong the kidney function that we were at at the time. I think, by the way, that kidney function was down to 18 from memory in that September. So I started running and running became a passion. And bearing in mind, I was just over 16 stone at the time. I couldn't run a kilometer, let alone a mile, but I wanted to run. And being over the BMI for the age I was at at that time of 36, luckily the weight dropped off pretty quickly or certainly the first couple of stones. So within a couple of months, I was already a couple of stone lighter. And as the function was either stabilizing or declining, or my health was feeling a little bit worse, I was on an up feeling buoyant that I'd lost weight and I was eating healthy. I wasn't drinking alcohol as much. I was still drinking alcohol, but not as much. But everything was that perfect storm for me at that particular time. So I just carried on with the running, just ran and ran and ran. And ultimately, I dubbed it to my friends as I'm running for my life. Quite literally, um, when we say that expression. So exercise became a big thing for you in terms of managing your kidney disease and maintaining the kidney function that you did have. So. How effective was that? Did that manage to keep your kidney function on an even keel or improve during that time? Yeah, pretty much stabilised, if I'm being honest, which uh, the NEFs were quite surprised by. So from being 16 stone in 2018, I lost four stone in total going into 2019. And I ran Chester Half Marathon eight months after starting to run. That's incredible. That part of it helped really stabilise the function. The function didn't overly decline at that point. It bounced between 20 to 16 and 18 to 14 to 16. And I managed to actually stay off dialysis. Bearing in mind, this was September 2018. I stayed off dialysis until October 2021. So I managed to prolong the function enough for about three and a bit years when I eventually started dialysis when my EGFR was eight. But it was such a massive difference from losing 20, 25, 30 points, if you like, off the function in such a short space of time to then being able to level it out. And I know when people start diets for any walk of life, it's always hard because you're used to eating and drinking what what you do. We only made very subtle changes to our diet to help that. Obviously, the exercise for me became a massive thing and a massive part of my life was exercise all of a sudden, which hadn't been like that since I was 21, ultimately. But also we changed little things that were recommended by kidney care, double boiling potatoes. I swapped out regular milk for oat milk at the time and I started having certain cereals for breakfast. There wasn't much other things that changed in our diet other than that, maybe a little bit more salad on a plate at dinner time. But we never went full hog. I'd still have my treats once a week. We'd get a takeout and Because part of the mantra was, yes, we're doing this, we're running for the life, but we've also got to live as well. And that's always been a big thing for me, especially since the kick is living life as much as possible as well. It's very easy to sit in a room, do nothing, don't go to work, watch telly. But I didn't want to be like that. And that's why everything changed for me at that point. Don't get me wrong. It's all sounding great. It's all sounding rosy. There were bad days as well. There were dark days. There was a time, especially I was I was injured for a week or two. I just felt a, a tight car from a running, so I didn't want to risk it. And it affected me like I wouldn't believe because I just wanted to be outside running. 
which was such a change in where I was a year before. And sometimes those mental battles have been really hard as well during the journey. It really shows how powerful it is to make those changes to your diet, to increasing exercise. And for anyone listening, running was your exercise of choice. We're not saying it has to be running. I love badminton personally. People might enjoy whatever sport it might be, walking. For me, it's not important the type of exercise. It's important that you do some exercise and to be consistent with it. So for anyone listening, in terms of making those changes, whether that's to diet or increasing exercise, what advice would you have for them? Don't be scared is probably the best thing of saying because you can look at your diet if we take that side of it over exercise. You could look at a diet and think, wow, I'm going to get lost now over what to eat, what can I eat? Because there's obviously certain foods, bananas with high potassium as an example you shouldn't be eating them four or five times a day. But I'd also say everything in moderation as well. Because I mentioned earlier uh, in the interview here that I was still having my weekly takeaway, even though my kidney function was dangerously low, even though I wasn't in the best of shape, that was getting better. But if you have everything in moderation, it's not as much of a scare factor when you're trying to change your diet. I've been there. I've looked at what I'm eating and go, well, actually, a pasta dish tonight might sound really nice, but then that pasta dish may not also fill me up. So it's about balancing what snacks you can have in the meantime between meals as well. And don't be scared or don't beat yourself up if you end up having a chocolate biscuit and looking at the calories in that and, and the ingredients involved. And when it comes to exercise as well, I just say do what you can. A lot of people aren't in the same position that I am that can go running. But if you're able to get out for a walk to clear the head, it's fantastic. If you're able to get on a bike to go cycling, if you're able to go for a swim, whatever you can do that improves your movement each day will always be a benefit as opposed to a hindrance. Unfortunately, your kidney function declined further. So what happened then? So in the background, Ever since the kick and, and a bit of the weight loss, my wife was being worked up to be a potential donor for transplant for me. My job was to get my BMI right, was to get my weight right, to be able to get on the transplant list also. So we were trying to attack it, if you like, from a two-pronged attack. So I was put onto the transplant list in early 2019, in May, not long after running the Chester Half Marathon. And my wife, like I say, was in having to work up and she became eligible to be a living donor at this point. There was a potential that we could match directly. However, our doctors over in the transplant unit at Liverpool indicated that it would be better for us to go into the paired pooled scheme where I could potentially receive a better matching kidney. I couldn't talk to you about all the science behind it. That's not my bag. But I was told me and the wife would be a 2-2-2, which I believe is the worst potential match but something that the hospital could work with if required. So we agreed to go into the paired pooled scheme and we were very fortunate to be matched at the first time of asking. So we first matched in 2020, if I get my years right, but it was postponed in April due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And then unfortunately it was cancelled in September just when they were about to give the go-ahead of it because there was an illness found within the chain so the pairings we had, there were three couples in the chain in total. 
So there's every chance someone could fall out, six people in it. There may be an illness, and unfortunately that happened to us. And so we had to miss out on this chain. We then got matched again at the end of 2020 in the November run. So again, a very fortunate position to get two matches in a row. One of the recipients within that chain was, uh, I believe, a younger lad. You, you don't get to find out the information of a lot of people in this. But they also asked to remain on the active transplant list on the off chance to better his chances. Something I didn't decide to do because we'd already been matched early on. My wife was happy to donate and we decided actually for now, I wasn't on dialysis at this point. I was healthy, uh, in inverted commas. But the young lad in question in the chain actually got a match on the transplant list, which meant that chain also fell apart. So we were two for two on failed paired pool matches at this point. We then got matched again in 2021, the third time of asking. And we actually got as far as spending the night in hospital. So on it was independent American Independence Day on the 4th of July, 2021. We spent the night at the Royal Liverpool, the head of the transplant on the 5th of July. But the following morning, uh, my wife wasn't 100% well. She had a cough, which we believed actually was more of a nervous cough, because every time she put herself in a situation where she was nervous in normal life, she had a dry, chesty cough. However, the anaesthetist uh, decided that it wasn't worth the risk to incubate her during operation. So on the morning of the 5th of July, the transplant was cancelled, which was a unique experience because firstly, the other two couples that were in the chain actually went ahead and matched against each other, which ruled us out of this chain altogether for the third time in just over a year. But also after spending the night and preparing ourselves, we were told at nine o'clock it wasn't happening. And by 9.45, we were literally out on the street in front of the hospital waiting for a lift home. And to go from the situation of the previous 12, 24 hours in hospital getting ready mentally to then find yourself ultimately on the street 45 minutes later. It was very tough to take and, and almost disbelieving, you know, looking around at each other to go, what's just happened? Why are we here? Don't get me wrong. It was ultimately and correctly the right call that was made on the day, but it took a couple of days to get over this particular failing. But then, however, success. Um, we have to talk about the good times as well. In August 2022, so August last year, I should say, we were at the Commonwealth Games down in Birmingham and we had a phone call while we were at the athletic stadium to say there's been a match. So we were like, brilliant, let's get this head. Let's just get us in hospital now. Let's not mess around. It was eventually uh, successfully transplanted as well on November the 10th. So some two to three months later, the, the worry there was it should have been sooner, but the Royal Liverpool were moving to the new hospital which also prolonged things. And every day that went by, I was waiting for the phone call to say something had gone wrong again, but not this time. And we successfully, like I say, had the transplants on November the 10th. Wow. That is one roller coaster of emotions that you must have been going through. I mean, to have not just one, not just two or three, four attempts at having your transplant surgery. I can only imagine how difficult that was for you to be going through all that. I mean, how did you stay focused? How did you keep positive through all of that? So, again, don't get me wrong, probably for 24 hours after each cancellation, it felt like the world had ended a little bit because especially the first three attempts, I was trying to stay off dialysis. And I was always told by the doctors that, 
by being on dialysis, it gives the kidney less chance to stick, in inverted commas. But then my transplant nurses would indicate as long as you're not on dialysis for longer than, say, 18 months, it wouldn't matter anyway. So there was always that sort of given time on the advice I was given. But yeah, for 24 hours, like I say, it was tough. The first one, especially, I think, because we were expecting life to be rosy and to sort of be operated on and crack on with life. We just actually moved house. It was during or towards the end of lockdown one. So we just moved house and we were shielding for two weeks as well before the transplant. So we shipped the kids off to the grandparents for the opening two weeks of school. Me and my wife spent the best part of 10 days of those two weeks emptying boxes and sorting the house out. And then we got the phone call and it was like, oh, wow, I suppose the kids can come back tonight. <laughs> Similar situation to being left on the streets later on down the line. But it was just, again, what's just happened here? Uh, I took myself off for, it was about a four hour walk that day. I don't think I walked very far, don't get me wrong, but it was just to think about what had gone on and where we were. And, and selfishly, I suppose, where it left me health-wise, because every single time I was a, really selfish about it and thought, well, health-wise, I need this. I'm going to need this to prolong my life, ultimately. I was also thinking about my wife, who was really going through it mentally as well, because each time she was psyching herself up to have a kidney removed. But that didn't overly come to mind straight away all the time. So I was leaving her to deal with her own grief about the situation, I suppose. But ultimately, we, we had to get over it as well. And we'd had the kick, as I talked about earlier, spend 48 hours doing nothing and then decided not to look back on the past. And that's how we mentally prepared ourselves for each of these knocks. We took the time, wallowed around in self-pity for, for a day or so. And then said, right, ultimately, it's not happening. We can't change it. Let's go again. And I honestly believe that having that positive mental attitude has really helped prolong the kidney function as well. And again, don't get me wrong. I know everybody isn't in the same boat. This is purely my story and it's worked for me. But I try to remain as positive as possible and always look at the positive outcomes. Again, said earlier don't get me wrong there were days when I certainly wasn't looking at the positive outcomes but you get over that and you go again and I got back out running and I went again and did what I could to get my body ready for the next time. So for anyone listening who is thinking about entering a paired scheme what advice do you have for them and I'm quite aware that we've talked about the paired scheme but maybe there might be some people listening who don't know what we mean by the paired scheme. So very quickly, could you explain what is the paired scheme? So yeah, as I briefly mentioned earlier, ultimately in our situation, having my wife's kidney inserted into myself wasn't going to be the best solution for me. It was manageable, it was doable, but the doctors believed there was a better chance of receiving a better kidney for my situation out there. So the NHS offer a kidney swap service. I suppose is the best way of saying it, where very simply, there's another couple who are in the same situation where the kidney's not an ideal match for them. So I'll take a kidney off that partner and my wife will send a kidney over to the one that's needed. And it works as easy as that. I say as easy as that. Every chain we were in was at least six people. So there is so much opportunity for that not to go ahead. Whereas there's all the opportunity in the world for you to receive a better kidney and have better health coming out of it. 
So for anyone listening who's considering joining a paired scheme, what advice do you have for them? Ultimately, I'd say do it. It's really benefited me and my situation. I firmly believe that for you as a recipient, it gives you the better opportunity of receiving a better kidney that's suited to your body. And as a donor, it's brought such an unbelievable joy to my wife for doing it. She's always on cloud nine about it. Again, it took her longer to get over donating than it did for me to have a transplant, interestingly enough. Not a walk in the park again, but she absolutely loves it. But yeah, anybody that's considering doing it, it's fully worth it. I was on the transplant list and didn't get the call. So I went into the paired scheme. And at that point, I believe I opted out of being on the transplant list also. My doctors tell me that wasn't the case, but I never got a call anyway, so I, I can never confirm or deny that. The chain gets ran every three months in the UK. So you've always got that opportunity of having a call every three months to say, there is the perfect kidney for you. Let's get the transplant arranged. Let's get it set up. And then once you get that call, it should go ahead. Again, not in my circumstance in times, but it should go ahead within two to three months of that call as well. It's just about the other units talking to each other, but it's well worth doing. So I know that you're very active on social media. So if anyone wants to follow you online, what are your handles? So Twitter and Instagram are the two socials I use the most. And my Twitter handle is at Andy underscore Jonesy. And that's a capital A and a capital J. And on Instagram, all lowercase, you can find me at Andy underscore Jones underscore 1982. And I'll put those in the description box so please do support and follow Andy we've talked about your journey from having your diagnosis at a very young age your childhood life from your early 20s through to your 30s when things started to decline with your kidney health and your change of mindset and lifestyle through to I can't believe four attempts through the bed scheme to finally get your kidney how has receiving that kidney changed your life so far so good it's probably the best way of saying things yeah I feel so much better is the honest answer um, I mentioned earlier I was in that kind of perfect storm as I was declining in function and I was starting to exercise so I didn't feel as much of the usual symptoms of having such a low kidney function but as I'm sat here now my kidney function is hovering between 50 and 60. And the difference it's made in the last sort of eight to nine months, yeah, it's just it's just unreal in terms of giving me energy, giving me, I don't want to say giving me life back. So I was in a very fortunate position in terms of work. I didn't have to stress over that. So it was a lot easier for me in that respect. But it's just given me the energy and the want to keep this kidney going for as long as possible. Ultimately. I'm eating well again. I'm exercising again now. I'm sort of eight months in because, again, I couldn't really start running on day one, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's changed life a lot for me. The one big thing that I noticed, I didn't notice, sorry, everyone said to me is I don't look grey anymore. So I always take that as a positive. Even people I see now I've not seen for a year, it's like, wow, you've got some colour in you. So visually it's obviously made a difference as well but honestly physically and mentally as well I said earlier I'm very strong on the mental health it's given me that 
opportunity to go out there and ultimately they enjoy life. What final piece of advice do you have for the listeners? I touched upon it earlier, but work with your team. So I'm still under care once a month at the moment since transplanted been whittled down to once a month. I go in there every month with questions. Ultimately, when can I travel? What are we doing to my meds this time? Why is my blood cell count so low? I go in to have my bloods a couple of days earlier as well because I'm able to. So I see my results on patient knows best. And I can straight away go in there with kind of knowing what I'm going to be told, but also with a list of questions myself, if anything looks off. And I found that by asking questions, I found that the staff, the whole of the NHS is so much more receptive to you as a patient. Because early on in my journey, as I say, I missed appointments. I got discharged. Ultimately, in the nicest way, they didn't care who it was. And I fully agree with it. Looking back now, they wouldn't have cared who it was. But now, just by talking to your team and working with the team, it's given me the best knowledge to face transplants and move forward with life. And I believe it's given me a really good relationship so I can walk in there and shake their hand every time and ask them how they're getting on as well. I just think working with a team is so vitally important at whatever stage of kidney disease you're at. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your story. Thank you for being so open and so honest. I know that through sharing your story, you're going to help so many people out there. So thank you again. No problem. Thank you for having me, Dee. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.